Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on September 11th, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to help sustain the ministries at St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Hallie Parkins with the Gospel reading. John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see this kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our, our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that God gave God's one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. As we read our Christian scriptures from uh, the Hebrew Bible and the Gospel today, we are in uh, the presence and great pulpit of a cedar tree. I know uh, there were many points in our Hebrew scriptures where um, Hebrew people revered this cedar tree, especially the cedar of Lebanon. In the psalmist's song for the Sabbath day, uh, our psalm for today, the image of a cedar holds that reverence. It's a symbol of strength, uh, one that gives life on the most creative day of rest. God plants the cedar in the wilderness and plants a whole forest in the wilderness as evidence of what God can do and has done in the most unlikely and unusual places. In the language of our psalmist again, it is said that God planted the cedar trees in the great abundance of all the created world that springs forth of life that flows between things and all things that grow and gladden and bring forth life and all that sings among its branches. Even today, in northern Lebanon, there is a forest that stands that is named the Cedars of God. The grove stands at over 350-some trees, thought to be some of the oldest trees in the valley. They are giants, born many hundreds of years ago, with massive trunks and a great span of canopy. 
the cedars of Lebanon grow out into a great column of trees and have grown and weathered so much time. They branch out into several large upstanding uh, branches and needle-like leaves spiral out from them. At one count, just over 2,000 trees survive as the last trace of disappearing forest in northern Lebanon. The saplings grow slowly and human hands, as well as God's, have also joined in the planting of trees in the hope of slow and ongoing recovery of these ancient forests. The cedars of Lebanon were prized and valued for their strength and durability, and some used this cedar to build their ships to travel the sea, and the tree carried people on great journeys. Some used the great cedar of Lebanon as a pillar in places of worship, and those great trees fell to stand in temples, in places where people found God. In Hebrew, the word cedar means firm or strong. The strength of the trees, though, is more than just what we can imagine for human invention though its rot-resistant qualities uh, are up for a seafaring life and they're able to hold a ceiling of a temple up for generations. These trees are strong and firm in the ground with roots that stretch deep that anchor them for over hundreds of years and some even thousands of years in a great cathedral of forest. David longed for a home that was made of cedar, a sign of permanence and having made it in life. And scripture details his palace with panels of cedar and all the time and effort and majesty that must have taken. And though he lived in that house of cedar, he always belonged to God who created a home and the wandering with him and his people who found home with people in the alternative. And the Song of Solomon in one translation poetically describes the beloved uh, in that scripture as the one who stands tall like a cedar strong and deep-rooted, a rugged mountain of a man, aromatic with wood and stone. The cedar of Lebanon is woven into our Hebrew scriptures, a tree that provided our ancestors in faith a place to worship, a home with God, a fragrant metaphor, and a reference of life planted in the wonder of God. In our life here in the Pacific Northwest, trees make up an unmistakable place in our life. We are in the temperate rainforest of the Quinault Valley, and this, uh, this rainforest is home to some of the largest kinds of trees of their species, some tucked miles and miles away, accessible only by foot. The forest here is unlike any other in the world, with dense green architecture of roots and trees and canopy, an abundance of moss and lichen and plants and ferns spilling over, a symbiotic relationship at every level. And here, in the presence of the forest, humankind found cultural and natural history and significance in this forest too. With uh, mindfulness of this forest and of this tree in particular, the Western Red Cedar, Robin Wall Kimmerer, a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation and author of Braiding Sweetgrass, writes that native people of the coastal Pacific Northwest made rich livelihoods here for millennia, living here with one foot in the forest and one on the shore, gathering the abundance of both. This is the rainy land of the salmon, of wintergreen conifers, huckleberries, and sword fern. This is the land of the tree of ample hips and full baskets, the one known in the Salish language as maker of rich women, as mother cedar. No matter what people needed, the cedar was ready to give. 
from cradle board to coffin, holding the people. In this wet climate, she continues, where everything is on its way back to decay, wrought resistant cedar is the ideal material. The wood is easily worked and buoyant. The huge straight trunks practically offer themselves for the seagoing craft that could carry 20 paddlers. And everything that was carried in those canoes was also the gift of cedar. Paddles, fishing floats, nets, ropes, arrows, and harpoons. The paddlers even wore hats and capes of cedar, warm and soft against the wind and the rain. Along the creeks and bottomlands, the women sang their way down well-worn trails to find just the right tree for each purpose. Whatever they needed, they asked for respectfully, and for whatever they received, they offered prayers and gifts in return. Notching a wedge in the bark of a middle-aged tree, the women could peel off a ribbon a hand's width wide and a 25 feet long. Harvesting bark from just a fraction of the tree's circumference, they ensure that the damage would heal over without ill effect. The dried strips were then beaten to separate the many layers, yielding inner bark with a satiny softness and a glossy sheen. A long process of shredding bark with a deer bone yielded a pile of fluffy cedar wool. Newborn babies were delivered into a net of this fleece. The wool could also be woven into a warm, durable clothing and blankets. A family sat on woven mats of outer bark, slept on cedar beds, and ate from cedar dishes. When sickness came, the people turned again to her. Every part is medicine for the body, from the flat sprays of foliage to the flexible branches to the roots, and throughout there is powerful spiritual medicine as well. Traditional teaching recount that the power of the cedars is so great and so fluid it can flow into a worthy person who leans back into the embrace of her trunk. When death came, so came the cedar coffin. The first and last embrace of a human being was in the arms of Mother Cedar. She goes on to tell the story of the tree and its significance to the people and culture and communities that emerged in these old growth forests. And she writes, just as old growth forests are richly complex, so too were the old growth cultures that arose at their feet. Some people equate sustainability with a diminished standard of living, but the aboriginal people of the coastal old growth forests were among the wealthiest in the world. Wise use and care for a huge variety of marine and forest resources allowed them to, over to avoid over-exploiting any one of them while extraordinary art, science, and architecture flowed in their midst. Rather than greed, prosperity here gave rise to the great potlatch tradition in which material goods were ritually given away, a direct reflection of the generosity of the land to the people. Wealth meant having enough to give away, social status elevated by generosity. The cedars taught how to share wealth and the people learned. I love this complex and interdependent old growth uh, culture that emerged in the old growth forest because it counters so much of the clear-cut, easily ordered mindset. And it's a language of reciprocity among the trees and among life. And it is a mutual and giving life, one that is generous. Moving into this great and messy life cycle of the forest, we also visit uh, some of the trees that have fallen and given their own lives in the life cycle of the forest. 
One of the unique features of, a, of an old growth forest is how the trees fall and become a nurse log. Their bodies become a place of life for other plants and new trees, the roots growing down around the trunk to the soil. And over time, one life gives way to another life, the body becoming life itself. Life and death intermingle, decay and growth together in the life cycle of the whole forest. And for me, I find grounding in the gospel now, in the ways we create and find home on earth. In the life and death of a forest, the richness of an old growth forest. Because there is something here that gives us life beyond death and life yet again. There is no soapbox or megaphone for John 3.16. There is this cedar pulpit in the middle of a forest. There is no quick profit or easy conversion. It's a life laid down in a life-giving way of Christ for a far more complex and intricately woven uh, place of life in the whole flesh of an old-growth forest. As one theologian says, the way of Jesus, the geography of the life he calls us to, is rather like an old-growth forest, marvelous, muddled, and messy. It works by symbiosis, living off one another. Nothing in an old-growth forest can go it alone. Nothing could survive by itself. Everything in the forest is interrelated and interdependent. All flora and fauna eat from it, live from the others. I understand the Christian community to, to be in that relationship, one that is fed and brought into life with God. For this and all of God's rich, abundant, messy, complex ways of life, we give thanks and glory to God. Amen.